The border is a gigantic hot mess. And it is really ugly to see the Biden administration lying the way they are. They did this. It is not a conversation about a more humane approach. It is not a conversation about caring for these children. It is not true that they had a dismantled system that they had to rebuild. That's not fact. Those are not the facts. The facts are that the bringing of Joe Biden into the presidency was a signal to people throughout Central America, Southern America, Mexico, that the border is now open. Now, we should at least be clear on a little bit of of terminology when we talk about these things. Is the border open? No. People are still getting deported. Is the border closed? Well, of course not. How in the world? What kind of thing? Would you, how high would you have to be to believe that the border is closed? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio is where you find us. Twitter, Parlor, Instagram, Tony Katz, Secretary Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, actually believes this. Uh, Chuck, our, our message has been straightforward and simple, and it's true. The border is closed. We are expelling families. We are expelling single adults, and we've made a decision uh, that we will not expel young, vulnerable children. I think uh, we are executing on our plans, and quite frankly, uh, when we are finished doing so, uh, the American public will look back on this and say we secured our border and we upheld our values and our principles as a nation. What values and principles is he referring to? And you got to see him. He's talking to Chuck Todd there on NBC. And and the smug look, like we're going to do what's right for these kids. It's kids in cages and overcrowded cages. It can't be denied. The same cages Barack Obama used, yes. The same cages Donald Trump used, they are cages. Did you want to call them something else? Then you would have had to have called them something else for four years. You don't get to make a name change now. No, 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 no. You don't get to do that. You don't get to decide now we got to come up with a new word, like a bed and breakfast or something like that. No, 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 it's a cage. And Obama put them in cages, and the law says this is how it gets dealt with. By the way, the overcrowding is now so complete that they're sending people away without... A notice to appear. There's no notice to appear. You don't even have to appear in court. They're just letting you into the country. You see, if a border was closed, we'd say nobody in. And then if you tried to get in, you'd get shot. I am not suggesting shooting people at the border. I am saying that not saying that the border is closed would indeed have a definition. And the definition would be if you tried to get in, you're shot. One man's theory. But the smugness of, of Mallorca, of Mallorcas, is, is unbelievable. Chuck Todd with a follow-up. 
How can you say the border is closed if there is this, what some would look at as a loophole? And I understand on humanitarian grounds, but if, if the goal is to get these asylum seekers to, to seek the asylum in home country, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, um, for instance, um, how do you get them to do that if our policy is to let them in at the border? So, Chuck, we have a short-term plan, a medium-term plan, and a long-term plan, and the president uh, and I have spoken to this uh, repeatedly. Uh, please remember uh, something, that uh, President Trump dismantled the orderly, humane, and efficient way of allowing children to make their claims under United States law in their home countries. He dismantled the Central American Minors Program. So we are rebuilding those orderly and safe processes as quickly as possible but in the meantime in the meantime we will not expel into the mexican desert for example three orphan children whom i saw over the last two weeks we just won't do that that's not who we are i reject that secretary mayorkas knows who we are and i reject it because what he has put forth right there is a lie and what we are not is liars Donald Trump did not dismantle a system. Rather, Donald Trump made sure a system was engaged. This is Martha Raddatz, ABC News, interviewing somebody who came across the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing I think was Joe Biden, I, you know, uh, it's like a letting up my hope. You know what I mean? Director Diego Pino So because Joe Biden is president of the United States, people are like, okay, now we can come across. Wouldn't have done this under Donald Trump. So yes, Joe Biden is waving people in. Now you might say to me they're sending a new message now. But as I shared with you and is now making national news, if you go back to the presidential debates, Jorge Ramos asking the question of Joe Biden talking about letting people into the country. All of those things. Number one. Number two. Number two, by the time this is the president who came along with the DACA program. No one had ever done that before. This is the president who sent a le- legislation to the desk saying he wants to find a pathway for the 11 million undocumented in the United States of America. This is the president who's done a great deal. So I'm proud to have served with him. What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. Well, that's what you said. That's what you said. And now people are doing it. And it doesn't work. And then you're blaming Trump for everything that has gone wrong. You know who did a great job of taking apart what Secretary Mayorkas said bit by bit? Stephen Miller, who used to work 
in the Trump White House. I was stunned by the dishonesty of Mayorkas' presentation. He looked at the camera and he lied. He blatantly lied. And there's just no polite way to put that. First of all, he inherited from the Trump administration the most secure border we've had in this country. Between our public health measures, known as Title 42, our safe third agreements with three Central American countries, the migrant protection protocols, also known as Remain in Mexico, our asylum reforms or immigration court reforms, I could go on. You never had a better system for humanely returning illegal immigrants back to their home country. We have a crisis, a spiraling, massive, growing, surging crisis for one very simple reason. The Biden administration terminated all of that to adopt a policy of catch and release. And so when Mayorkas says, as he did today, that the border is closed, he is lying. First of all, if you arrive at the border illegally, 17 or younger, traveling alone, you are resettled into the U.S. interior, and you are taken to the city and destination of your choice. That is not a closed border. As for family units, and those numbers are growing steadily, and they are overwhelming border agents. According to my best sources, roughly 80% of family units that arrive at the border are likewise released into the U.S. interior. This is why people come with children. This is why children are kidnapped and then brought across to make it easy for them to enter. Because we are good, decent people who love children, who don't want to see people get hurt. The administration is so overwhelmed at the border, or the border is so overwhelmed that the administration is considering flying people to Canada to process them. Game over, man. Game over. It's not a joke. They have more resources at the Canadian border because you still got to have all the places to handle things, so they're thinking about flying them from the Mexican border to the Canadian border to process them. That's when they're considering processing people. Meanwhile, the latest that I have was that 5,000 unaccompanied children are in the custody of U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. So we're getting, what, 500 kids uh, every few days? This is not This is not right. And no, the border is not closed. And that's where what Stephen Miller said is so incredibly important. Secretary Mayorkas lied to all of us, saying the border is closed. It's a lie. He is a liar. And if that seems a little extreme to say or a little too rough to say, well, sorry. The facts will remain and we should know it. We're getting gaslit. The border is a complete and total, I was going to use a word I'm trying not to use, uh, it's a disaster. So what solves this problem? First, an honest conversation about what's happening certainly solves the problem. Second, a recognition that a policy must involve protecting America first. Protecting Americans first. When you allow people into the United States without checking who they are, without having them go through a process, you put American children at danger.
or in danger. At risk is what I wanted to say there. You put them at risk and you put them in danger. There is no other way to say it, and it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what group they're from. It doesn't matter what member of Congress they are. They can't deny that fact. It's putting children at risk. We should say so. And we should say so, not just when we're the people in Texas or New Mexico or in Arizona or in California. We should say so as the Midwest. Because these people are sent to other places. And what happens at the border does affect us. It affects us in Ohio and it affects us in Nebraska and it affects us in Minnesota and it affects us in Indiana. Of course it does. So why shouldn't we say so? Well, it just means that you, you hate brown people. You have a problem with it. Oh, stop listening to MSNBC. They'll make you dumb. They'll make your brain all mushy, son. Joy Reid? Joy, don't listen to Joy Reid. If you listen to Joy Reid long enough, you too will write anti-gay things about members of, uh, of, of the Florida uh, electorate there on your blog. Remember, she was uh, making fun of Charlie Crist. And, and she got to keep her job. I wrote the things that she wrote about uh, former Governor Charlie Crist. Whoo! No job for Tony. And then again, I would never think those things. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to write them. But if I did write them, I wouldn't have a job. These people aren't serious. They want to scream racism for everything. This isn't a conversation about racism. This is a conversation about whether or not you can have a nation that's protected. And they don't care about a protected nation. That's why you have to dismiss them. Ping! Just knock them out. Like a ladybug that's crawling on your lawn chair. Ping! Well, is, is that, uh, I'm going to get yelled at for that. I'm going to get an email, I'm sure. They're lying. This border issue is theirs and theirs alone. And we don't want it to be an issue. We want it fixed. But they would rather blame Donald Trump than fix it. We want it fixed. Rational people want it fixed. Decent people want it fixed. People who actually believe in being humane and humanity want it fixed. Those people, unfortunately, are not in the Biden White House. I'm Tony Katz. It's very possible that COVID made you fat. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't COVID. It was the fact that you were home making bread and watching Netflix. It could have made you fat. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. So this is from the American Psych- Psychological Association. Uh, and, and I did find it on social media, but I, was, I, I think I've got it right. Um, there was undesired weight loss and undesired weight gain. So the average weight loss was 26 pounds for U.S. adults, but the average weight gain was 29 pounds. So women lost 27 pounds, right? 17%, but 45% gained 22 pounds. 17% lost 27, 45% lost 22. That's not so good. 20% of men lost 25 pounds. But 39% of men gained 37 pounds. You all became fatties. Specifically, millennials. Oh, producer Ari. How your love handle's doing? Ah, I'm, I'm pretty good. 
I mean, I'll tell you what's pretty good. Gen X is pretty good. Listen to this. So millennials, 22% had an average weight loss of 26 pounds. But 48% had an average weight gain of 41 pounds. 41 pounds. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's like a lot of wheatgrass. That's a tremendous amount. You know what it, you know what it is? That, that weight gain, it's from carrying around all that self-righteousness. But Gen X... There's an article in the New York Post about how Gen X, we need you to save the country, right? Because we just know how. 17% had an average weight loss of 24 pounds, and Gen X had an average weight gain, 41% of 21 pounds. 41% of Gen Xers gained 21 pounds. I am in the weight loss. So, so here's what I've, I, I've, I've, I've learned. I'm not a dietitian. Right? Don't. I, I'm not saying you should listen uh, to 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 what I I, I say. Uh, f- you know, me and my uh, fantastic medical degree. But here here here's what I've learned. I even went with the Gen X theme song. What up? I've learned that uh, producer Ari that if you eat less, you will lose weight. Uh, I mean, generally, yeah. All right, let me let me say that again. I know I know that's kind of blowing people's minds. If you eat less, you will lose weight. I know. I know. It's like why didn't anybody tell me? It's not that I'm intermittent fasting, it's that I have come to accept the fact that I this is going to sound so embarrassing. I am of an age where there are no longer things I can do. There'll be moments where my wife and I will be out to dinner and I've had half of my meal and she's had her half of her meal. And we're like, what are we doing? What happened to us? What's going on? And then instead of freaking out about it, we're like, okay, it's just the way it is. I take home more food. I eat so much less of the thing in front of me. Holy cow. Now, I, I don't step on a scale. I don't have a scale. What I need are new pants. That's, that's how I check. That's how I test. So I'm, I'm in that weight loss uh, column. But 41 pounds, millennials. Look, I think you look great. But what do I know? I'm Tony Katz. To watch people talk about this murder or these murders in Atlanta and decide to play in the narrative as opposed to the facts. I say this, well, I would clearly say to anyone, anywhere, at any time, you shouldn't be attacking someone, hurting someone, uh, trying to damage someone because they're Asian. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, at Tony Katz, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. No, Facebook is Tony Katz Radio. Twitter, Instagram, Parlor is at Tony Katz. Much better. The phone number, 833-468-8669. We know that this murderer chose to shoot at these massage parlors because he had sex issues. 
He wanted to claim it was an addiction, as we've heard from local law enforcement in Atlanta and the FBI. And he wanted to end the temptation. End the temptation. So you go about killing people? Despicable. We all should agree on that. But because six of the eight people who were murdered were Asian, and because it happened in massage parlors, it was full on an attack. And it's it's uh, it's just more of this uh, anti Asian sentiment, and it was a hate crime. Now you know me; I don't believe in hate crimes at all, and in any way. Crimes are crimes. Murder or mur- murder is murder, and it's not more of a murder or a worse murder because it happened to people of a certain specific group. The murder of your father is not worse or not worse than the murder of my father. It's an ugly way to look at the world. Really ugly, ugly way uh, to, to, to look at the world. So yes, I oppose the idea, the very concept of hate crimes. But we're being told everywhere that this was a hate crime against Asian Americans. Even though local law enforcement and the FBI have said this has nothing to do with the people being Asian. Six of the eight. My brother lives in the Atlanta area, the good Dr. Katz. He knows the area. And his point was, as we were discussing it through, if you were somebody who was trying to target people who are Asian... Do you know how many massage parlors, Chinese restaurants, sushi restaurants, Korean restaurants, how many places you could hit between these three areas that were hit if the objective was to kill Asians in the United States of America? That does not make me someone who is somehow bigoted. It is an actual understanding of the facts as presented. I am not interested in the the narrative. I'm interested in the facts. I'll give you a narrative. This is the Washington Post. Asian Americans is the opinion. Must not fight white terror alone. What? This this is now about about white terror? N- no it's not. It's about some lunatic who has some weird sex issues and decided I needed to go shoot up a couple places and kill these people for tempting me. Again, I'll ask the question that people are afraid to ask. Why is it that when uh, black people have a beef, you see it worked out in the streets? And why white people have a beef, you see them just shoot up a whole series of people. Why are mass shooters white? There's a question there that I would really love to get an answer to. We've got people who don't even think you should be able to ask that question. They don't get any control over our lives, guys. We get to decide how to act like grown-ups. I have seen uh, Arthur Blank, who owns the Atlanta Falcons, go down this road of narrative and it's hate crime. I have seen Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, go down this same line of thinking. The mayor of Indianapolis, you've seen other places. I would not disagree that if you're somebody who is Asian, you'd be like, whoa. 
And we've seen some crimes. We have seen some crimes that have taken place against people who are Asian. The question is, are we taking a look at all of it in the same light? Let me give you an example. Found this over at Twitchy. The New York Police Department has released a photo of the suspect in an assault on a 68-year-old Asian man in New York City. That man is black. That's who they are looking for in the unprovoked attack of a 68-year-old man who was punched in the face while riding the number one train in Tribeca, leaving him in critical condition, a face and a jacket full of blood. Supposedly shouted, you mother-blanking Asian during the assault. That is what it is. But no, 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 no. Let's go back to the Washington Post. Asian Americans must not fight white terror alone. What we see in New York, where we have the video or or, or the photos, and we have the police saying this is who we're looking for, that gets dismissed. But we take a story out of Atlanta that does not fit the narrative, and they want to tell people to ignore that and make it fit the narrative so they can write a story about white people being bigots to fit the greater narrative of every white person is a white supremacist. It seems to be the narrative they're going for. I think it's nuts myself. But they're the ones doing it. So Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, and Arthur Blank, the owner of the, of, the, of the Atlanta Falcons, and for Arthur Blank, the owner of Home Depot, you're wrong to go down this road. You would not be wrong if you said, hey, we don't like what happened here. And while we know it's not about uh, Asian hate, we see some other things happening, and we just want everyone to, to, to love their neighbor. Dude, go right ahead. But you can't do it while buying into narrative. Buying into narrative is pure evil. That's Pravda. And that's what you're doing. As Andrew Sullivan pointed out, Andrew Sullivan and I would disagree politically on many things, but Andrew Sullivan is part of FAIR, the Foundation Against uh, um, Racism. I forget, I forget what the I stands for in FAIR. It's fairforall.org. Right? And, and Barry Weiss is a part of this group. I'm thinking of starting a chapter. We believe in free speech. We believe in people being able to share facts. Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. That is fairforall.org. Here's the truth, writes Andrew Sullivan. We don't know yet why this man we're talking about, the murderer in Atlanta, did these horrible things. It's probably complicated, or as my therapist used to say, multi-determined. That's why we have thorough investigations and trials in America. We only have one solid piece of information as to motive, which is the confession by the mass killer to law enforcement, that he was a religious fundamentalist who was determined to live up to chastity and repeatedly failed, as is often the case. Like the 9-11 bombers or the mass murderers at Pulse Light Nightclub, which was Orlando, he took out his angst on the source of what he saw as his temptation and committed mass murder. This is evil in the classic fundamentalist sense, a perversion of religion and sexual repression into violence. 
He continues, we have yet to find any credible evidence of anti-Asian hatred or bigotry in this man's history. Maybe we will. We can't rule it out. But we do know that his roommates say they once asked him if he picked the spas for sex because those women were Asian. And they say he denied it, saying he thought those spas were just the quickest, the safest way to have quick sex. That needs to be checked out more. And then noticing what I noticed. Accompanying one original piece on the known facts, the New York Times ran nine separate stories about the incident as part of the narrative that this was an anti-Asian hate crime fueled by white supremacy and or misogyny. The Washington Post ran 16 separate stories on the incident as an anti-Asian white supremacist hate crime. One story... 16 stories, one story for the facts, 16 stories on how critical race theory would interpret the event regardless of the facts. He's absolutely right. Critical race theory is, of course, the idea that you could find racism in everything. No one is innocent. You can just, you, if you just look, you'll see the racism. Is that what they want from this story in Atlanta? Because it's obscene. I'll get into more of it. In the meantime, Joe Biden fell down. The White House wants to blame it on the wind. And Andrew Malcolm of Red State says there's a problem here. That story's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So is there a real issue with Joe Biden? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's so good to be with you. Andrew Malcolm joins us right now. He writes over at redstate.com, and you've been seeing his work for years all over newspapers when they mattered and online. And, sir, you've covered a lot of presidents. You have covered a, a, a lot of politics. Your story here, a detailed and disturbing overview, Joe Biden looks seriously unwell. I want to make sure we're clear. You're not diagnosing the man. You're not a medical doctor, but rather you're walking through a long history, uh, 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 long and recent, of what you see as an issue. Exactly. And uh, I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. So oh, that's, that, that helps, but it's not going to make it doesn't make you a doctor, no matter what Google says. <laughs> so yeah. let's get let's no, get you into know, where it, your these, thoughts are. on this. All, these things are circumstantial, but they add up and they've been going on. He's famous for being a gaff meister. Uh, members saying it's a big effing deal uh, about the Obamacare signing and calling somebody a name on another platform. Uh, he's, he's done that before, and that was kind of like Uncle Joe. But he wasn't president before. When he was running last year, he was uh, clearly uncertain of what he should say, where he was even in Iowa. He asked them how the infrastructure was in Ohio. Um, and uh, he spent much of the campaign in his basement talking on, um, on Zoom and Skype. Uh, but giving on-camera instructions to the teleprompter, no, go back, go back, because he didn't know what he was supposed to say. Well, if you don't know why you're running for president, maybe you shouldn't be. Um, now, uh, he was answering just, I think, last week, he was answering a question from Telemundo. Uh, his wife, Jill, was there, uh, and she interrupted him when his answer began to wander, as they often do. She interrupted him and finished it on the talking point. So um, 
he needs help. He's obviously getting it. He hasn't had a a news conference, a solo news conference since he's been in office. He's got one scheduled for Thursday. Uh, that's a modern day record, by the way, for presidents who usually want to get out in front and sell right. the country on their on their program. They want to speak. They want them to be. They want to be heard from. But something you did note that I did not in the interview that President Biden did with George Stephanopoulos, uh, the former Bill Clinton aide, as you note, you say that there was a little tiny italic note on ABC's transcript that says, "Edited for clarity." What did that mean? Uh, who knows? ABC didn't answer my question. Uh, the White House certainly isn't talking about it. Who did the editing? And uh, I talked to some aides from for previous presidents. They said they'd never heard of that. First of all, a, a TV network can't edit what a president says. You know, if this is a soundbite, that's one thing. But this was a sit-down interview, so they're supposed to run the whole thing. And Stephanopoulos was inclined to do that since he's he favors Democrats. Um, so editing for clarity, did the White House edit it? Did, uh, this is like a reporter showing his story to a source and asking them to edit it. You, you should never do that as a professional journalist. Um, so it's up in the air as to what edited for clarity meant. But I think what's more important, Tony, is actually what was edited. It's interesting who who would have done this, but what was it that Joe Biden said that was so unclear or wrong or confused that they felt they had to edit it? It was taped on Wednesday, but it wasn't broadcast till Thursday. So they had 24 hours to work it over. Talking to Andrew Malcolm, veteran national and foreign correspondent, formerly McClatchy in a world of other places and now at redstate.com. Uh, uh, the piece, a detailed and disturbing overview, overview uh, Joe Biden looks seriously unwell. Uh, when you have reached out to the White House on this subject and you know that other journalists uh, like yourself are reaching out also. What are they saying about the stonewalling that they're getting while well, we still only have a couple minutes left? What are they saying about the stonewalling they're getting from the White House, not only about not having the press conference, but about not answering questions, the whole circle back concept? Yeah, the whole circle back. What a joke that is. Well, there's always friction between the media covering the White House and the White House. In this case, it's rather muted because I suspect the sympathies of the White House press corps are more in the ballpark of Joe Biden and his administration than they were in the ballpark of Donald Trump, who was always attacking the media. Biden has done a fair amount of that, too, by the way, uh, over the years. But um, they're, they're pretty frustrated, and they've been pushing to get this news conference uh, for the last several weeks. They finally get one on Thursday. It'll be interesting to see what the staging is. These things are very carefully uh, laid out. For instance, uh, uh, Ari Fleischer, the White House press secretary for George W. Bush, he would uh, have the reporters that the president was going to call on on the left side of the room. And to avoid any embarrassing questions, he would say to the president, don't call on anybody on the right. And so the president would call on certain ones. He has a usually they have a list of the reporters who have uh, entered a question uh, and requested to be on. And they usually involve the networks or somebody on or 
in Donald Trump's case, of course, he wanted the publicity. Uh, other presidents may not want, for instance, Biden may not want to talk a whole lot about the border. So well, right now, not- Joe Biden doesn't seem to want to talk about anything. Andrew Malcolm. Over at Red State, I'm glad uh, you're there. A detailed and disturbing overview. Joe Biden looks seriously unwell. Check it out at redstate.com. A.H. Malcolm, M-A-L-C-O-L-M on Twitter. Be sure to follow him. We're going to talk more about this and a whole bunch of subjects. This is Tony Katz today.